As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, August 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will discuss the suspension issued to Fernando Tatis Jr., how that might impact him beyond this season. We're going to discuss C.J. Abrams as he is going to be called up by the Nationals. We'll kind of make sense of what he has done to this point in his young big league career and what that might mean for his long-term future. We're also going to take a look at some power shifts, some players who are among the biggest risers and fallers in slugging percentage for this season. Some interesting names on both of those lists. We've got a couple mailbag questions we're going to try to get to later on in the episode as well. You know, how was your weekend? I need a weekend from my weekend. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. My wife was uh, down in San Diego helping uh, helping her sister move down there. And uh, so I had the boys for a great portion of it. And uh, there were three parties uh, we went to in two days. Uh, we did two baseball practices and a tryout. Uh, my 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 ten uh, year old had his first. He had he's trying out uh, for a little league fall ball team, so he had to actually perform uh, in this moment. And uh, so I was very nervous for him, but he did a good job. Hit a single up the middle. Uh, I'm hoping for double A assignment. Um, and uh, uh, one of the parties was in Santa Cruz, and then yesterday in the evening we took them to their first concert. Nice. So we went to Frost Amphitheater here uh, on campus and saw my morning jacket with them. Hey, I saw a flyer and, for that concert. I thought about going and then forgot that I saw the flyer <laughs> and then I saw your picture from the concert and said, oh, yeah, that's right. That was a concert. <laughs> Concerts are fun. I should have gone to that concert that's very close by. That would have been a good yeah. thing to do. So I, how was the concert? It was good. It was fun. And Frost is just an un- amazing uh, arena because it's like a three- to maybe 5,000 it fits like full um, so it's small and it's like nestled in the trees and you can't actually see it from anywhere like around it because it's like just this little hill that they like you know put uh, put seats on basically so it's a, it's an amphitheater style with like uh, grass seats for half of it and so we and apparently you can bring your own food. We looked over and they, these guys had a whole cheese plate out, you know. And it's like, oh, that would have been the move. Uh, but we, you know, kids had a good time, and it's in preparation. This was more uh, my wife and I's choice of music. Their choice in music is Imagine Dragons, uh, which is coming in like two weeks, three weeks. Uh, so we wanted to get them to sort of practice before we went to that one because that one's much more expensive and with seats and so on yeah this is what it's like to sit around between sets um i don't know if they right. you were there the whole time <laughs> or if you just got there this for... is how loud it is too you know they were yeah. they were they wanted the earplugs and they didn't you know and there was sort of some back and forth there 
Nice. All right. Well, it sounds like it was a good show. And yeah, I've, I've jogged around that campus and I've never seen the amphitheater. So it must be pretty well hidden. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. For a while, they were not doing shows there. Uh, but the shows have come back and uh, they're fun. I'm going to keep an eye out for some more flyers because uh, I miss live music. I haven't seen live music in a few years. It's weird. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get to some news. Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended 80 games for a positive PED test. That was a shocking bit of news when that dropped on Friday. Yeah, because we're expecting him to come back this year. We're expecting him to join that Padres lineup. And, hey, the Padres can maybe actually go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers. I think they still can. I think the Padres are still much improved with Soto and Bell and Hayter and the moves they made at the trade deadline. But this is a, a bummer for all the different reasons uh, close to ball, I believe, is the pronunciation of the steroid that Tatis tested positive for. It is a synthetic steroid that mimics male testosterone. Uh, he said he took the medication to treat a case of ringworm. I did a little searching around. Didn't really want to Google ringworm, but I did. Now that's in your search history. <laughs> yeah, it's not looking good. Not an ingredient that's in medications uh, prescribed in the U.S. and Canada, but of course, you know, Tatis, I believe, lives in the Dominican Republic in the offseason and was probably there for part of his suspension. So who knows? So he there was yeah, there were some people on Twitter saying that it is uh, uh, in certain medications in Latin America. Sure. So, I mean, whatever the the case, even then, you know. Not not a good move, dude. You can't just like you know take stuff without wondering what's in it. Right. So a costly lesson for him, of course, with the missed time, the eighty games unpaid. It ends his twenty twenty two season, makes him ineligible for the postseason this year, um, and of course, also actually knocks him out for the twenty twenty three World Baseball Classic too. I didn't realize that was part of a positive PED test. So kind of a bummer. We're not going to see him in that event in the spring either. I guess the we haven't had a, a PED suspension for a, a prominent player in a while. At least I, I can't recall one since the time you and I started hosting this podcast, at least for a player this young. Does it change anything about your outlook for Tatis in the long run? Because I think there were there were greater complicating factors for him between the wrist, the shoulder that one day might need surgery, uh, the style of play. Like All of those things give me more concerns about him physically than the PED test does and just in terms of performance and and what I think he can do on the field once he's eventually back. Yeah. Um, this has been studied to, to some extent and every study that kind of looks at players that have been suspended and looks at what they do when they come back, uh, seems to suggest that, um, the steroids didn't do that much. However, I think there's an obvious, obvious flaw with all those studies, which is, we have no idea when they started or when they stopped. And assuming that they stopped because they were suspended for it, I think, is erroneous. So I would say this does not have that much of an impact on what I how I think he'll play going forward. The one that does is that I think after he popped the shoulder, uh, he stopped stealing bases, um, which is a kind of a weird uh, truth. Uh, but let me find his splits here. Um, he had, let's see, first half, second half. He had 20 stolen bases in the first half, and he had five in the second. I feel like that's meaningful. Um, and uh, uh, if you, so I think he's probably more of a like 10 to 12 type base dealer. Um, maybe you want to. Uh, take a little bit off the power just in case he does he was doing and he does stop now that he has his contract maybe he just settled it in and his whoever he is <laughs> i don't know uh but uh maybe lindorish lindoresque mm. i mean if you set that as the new floor and he still has the same power that he had before then you're just pleasantly surprised i i guess this probably because there's going to be some missed time in the carryover to next season, probably does knock him out of the first round, or at least puts him on the fringe of the first round if, if he was previously going to bounce back and, and join that group. I mean, he's going to miss like 40 games next year, right? Yeah, I think he's got about 40, 45 he can serve this year, so that leaves 35 to 40 on the other side of it. So all of April and part of May next year are gone as a result of this. I mean, think about how we treat first-rounders who have month-long injuries, just in terms of the, the absence and how that impacts the price. 
Acuna still made it in the first round. He did, late first round. So, But there was like positive health information. He was like playing baseball and you could see him. Yeah, Instagram lighting up with the uh, Acuna stuff early in the season, in the spring training part of the draft season. The other thing here that I keep thinking about, it's, it's sort of what you alluded to first, is that we just don't know timing. We don't know long-term impacts. I, I tend to just err on the side that performance is still going to be about the same. So the, the Lindor floor to me almost seems like a different shape of production than what you were looking at. I, I would be reasonably skeptical of the speed. I think the, the 10 to 12 steals is a better expectation than, than 20 plus, but I think he's an easy 30 to 35 home run guy with great mm-hmm. run production and then those bags. And then I think the question comes back to, for, you know, for his career, Tatis has struck out 27.6% of the time. Is he capable does, does of lowering the batting that? average? Yeah. Yeah. And does does that stay up or does the batting average go down or, you know, some question there. Yeah, career 292 hitter with that 27.6% carry. That comes from hitting the ball really hard. He does that consistently. So I I, I still think he's mostly the exact same guy and my lingering concerns probably are more with the shoulder less with the wrist and even less so with the positive PED test. If I'm just thinking about past situations like this and he's still so young too. We're not talking about a guy who's 32 years old. We're talking about a guy who's 23 right now and just the the ability to put up numbers like he did to this point. Is he ineligible for next year's postseason too? Because he'll be suspended through next year. I don't think that's how it works. I think it's only the year that the suspension was given. I, I was in the clubhouse when the news came down, and uh, like it, it made me feel like nauseous almost. Like it felt like it was like devastating. And I'm not, it's not like I'm not a Padres fan. I, I, I found it devastating for baseball. I mean, this is a guy that you, you were going to say is the face of baseball, you know? Like he was, he was like the future, the, you know, he was the, he was going to be the guy, you know? Yeah, it's on commercials, yeah. right? MLB The Show had a commercial for that. He's on the Dairy Queen commercial with uh, with Cody Bellinger, and like mm. the, he was he was the guy that was gonna bring the flair to the game. Yeah. Oh, it's just so awful. I feel so bad for Padres fans. It's a tough blow for sure, and and just one of those things. I did not see this coming at all. So. No. We uh, we shall see how it all plays out. More to, more time off to heal with his wrist, I guess. Uh, if you're looking for silver linings, maybe that's less of a concern in the long yeah, run. So he's like, he should go get that shoulder surgery. That might be an, a smart thing to do, but he also uh, has displayed questionable decision making. That's how I would put it. Sure, it's sad to uh, to put it uh, in simple simple terms, but we'll move on to some other things. Hopefully, some more uh, optimistic things here. C.J. Abrams going to get called up by the Nationals. Oh, yeah. This is going to be so great. Let's bring up a player that Eno's down on. I can make a case <laughs> against you. can poop on another young player. <laughs> you know what? It's fine. You can, you can make your negative Nelly Cruz case. I don't know. Negative Nancy. I don't want to call you a negative Nancy. Like, yeah, it should, you know, negative Norman. I don't know. Negative Norman. <laughs> it could work both ways. Uh, so... It's pretty obvious if you look at numbers. Luis Garcia is not really a shortstop. He's banged up right now. He's going to move to second base. Abrams is coming up for the Nationals. Good to just iron that out right now. We have talked about this at a few points earlier in the season. And I think I brought this up when I traded Abrams away in one of my long-term leagues earlier this season. Is that I didn't like the, the quality of contact. I thought that was a little bit problematic, even for his age. And I think that's the... That's the key here. It's a, when should we really start to take action? When should we really start to change our opinions of who we think a player can eventually become when we have some information like we have? Now, with Abrams, we're talking about someone who's a 21-year-old rookie. He's got 102 batted balls in the big leagues, five barrels so far. It's a 4.9% barrel rate if you're looking at uh, barrels per batted ball event, 3.6% if you like those over plate appearances. It's an 85.9 mile per hour average exit velocity, a 108.2 max and a hard hit rate under 30% at 28.4%. K rate under 20%. That's very good for any player, especially someone this young debuting in the big leagues. Walk rate just below 3% right now. We'd like to see that Not go good. up. Yeah. So high chase rate. So you can you can make the negative case first 
and then I will do my best to try and pull people back in. I'll try to provide a ray of sunshine after you bring all the clouds and all the rain here. Well, I mean, it's just, uh, it's not good. It's not good, bad of all content, uh, contact, um, you know, qu quality. It's uh, the, the max, the maximum velocity there is uh, raw power. I guess it actually links up pretty well with the fan graphs, 45, 55 uh, raw power. So I guess there's probably, there's a, there's a chance he can get above average. That would be a 55 on the 40 to, on the 20 to 80 scale. Um there's a chance he can put on some muscle and get bigger and, and grow into some power. Uh, but I lean a little bit more towards the 45 raw power. So, you know, I just wanted to look at other guys with the same max EV um, uh, to get an idea of who he could be like. Um, you know, you've got Yadiel Hernandez uh, there. Uh, you've got Abraham Toro there uh, with similar barrel and max EV. Um, it's, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, and then the guy I think CJ Abrams is, but actually a lesser version of, um, Gavin Lux. Um, how dare you, sir? Uh, now I'm going to dismerge two young players with this with one smarmy comment. Um, no, uh, I, I just think that Gavin Lux has way better plate discipline. And so that just makes him a better player. But in terms of like future and current ISOs, I think they're going to be pretty similar. Abrams is going to grow into like uh, maybe a 130, 150 ISO, uh, but he's going to do so with a worse on-base percentage. Um, so I think uh, peak Abrams is uh, maybe like a 275, 330, um, 400 guy harsh but okay that's your case that's what you got that's that's my case that's that's where i and that's that's actually showing growth from where he is now. sure that's beyond his projections you know like i i'm trying to like project some growth upon him the context for me is really important in in this instance because we're talking about a player cj abrams has played let's see 34 74 76 106 he's played a total of 114 games in the minor leagues in parts of three seasons between 2019, 2021, and now this season in 2022. He's played 46 games in the big leagues. We're talking about less than a full season's worth of minor league plate appearances. And those numbers have been good. The results have been fine. He didn't have any of those performances at a minor league stop where he was 40 or 50% better than everybody else at the level. That's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. But he also had <laughs> injuries sprinkled in there. And... Uh -huh. The other key, of course, is the speed, right? So we're talking about a player with top-of-the-scale speed who puts a lot of balls in play, can play up the middle defensively, and get a lot of opportunities to figure it out. So I think what it's going to come down to is where the where the swing decisions and where the strikeout rates go in the long run. If he ends up being a low strikeout rate guy without a lot of power that can hit the ball to all fields and then just run – okay, 8 to 10 homers and 30-plus steals ends up being kind of the outcome sort of thing for him. Tommy Edmond? Yes, Tommy Edmond. So I looked at it's a couple different things. I looked at the barrel rate leaderboards from 2019 and 2021 because 2020 was a garbage year that I don't really care about all that much. And I found that similar players in terms of their barrel rates included 2019 Trent Grisham, 2019 Tommy Edmond, and 2019 Tim Anderson. So then I started looking at the max exit velo, right? 108.2 this year for Abrams. Uh, Tim Anderson, 107.8 that year. Grisham, 107. Edmund got up to a 110. Pretty reasonable range of players just in terms of how they hit. Grisham, mm -hmm. I think, has that really patient eye, maybe even too patient at times, too passive, would be an argument you could make against Grisham. I don't think that's who C.J. Abrams is as a hitter. Tim Anderson has the approach that I think we would have been very skeptical of for a long time. Like when Tim Anderson was a prospect, I was the most skeptical player, a most skeptical person about the type of player he'd be just because I didn't see a lot of guys in the upper levels of the minor leagues who would walk less than 5% of the time and strike out about 20% of the time who'd come up and have a lot of real life value. And maybe mm. Tim Anderson is some kind of, of tricky outlier, but you look at his swing decisions, he chases a lot of pitches outside the strike zone for the first four years he was in the big leagues he had barrel rates right around five percent 
didn't have a lot of hard hit balls. And then we've seen that as he's aged, he's picked up a little bit of hard contact. We've seen a little more from him. This season's a bit of an exception, but the shortened season, we saw a barrel rate that popped up to 10.1%. Last year, probably a better indicator of where he's really at, 7.8%. And you think about Tim Anderson, that 2019 season with the 5.1% barrel rate, he was on a 2020 pace without injuries. Hit 335 that year. So I just wonder if we're talking about average and speed and then the power is just the one tool in particular that we're not sure of with Abrams. And I think landing in D.C. actually is a good thing for him. We know the ball carries there in the summer, so he might end up running into some some home runs that are now the result of a ballpark. I think in San Diego, there were more reasons for concern, especially knowing how that park plays for lefties compared to how it plays for righties. So, you know, I look at those names and then look at the 2021 barrel rates. Some other guys, Trent Grisham, still there at 5.2%. So other interesting names, though, Colton Wong, 5.5%. You could see C.J. Abrams maybe being a Colton Wong-type player. That's a mm-hmm. that's a decent floor. If you're a good defender and you know some power, a little more speed, that kind of works. Brian Hayes, who you and I have discussed as much as anybody we've talked about but over the life of this show. more power there for Hayes. And then Wander, also very young upon debut, 4.9% barrel rate, 109.6% max exit velo last year so hmm. a little better than abrams upon arrival but i'm still excited about wander so if i'm still excited about wander should i really be losing a lot of excitement about cj abrams damn you sexy flanders <laughs> uh all right all right and, and and actually while you were talking i was also thinking about um you know sort of stat fetishism you know that that i can fall into Barrel rate is such a powerful stat, but it's just one. And if CJ Abrams is more attainable in your dynasty league because of his poor barrel rate, then perhaps he's even a buy low. Could be. You know, because of all these other things you're saying. And the fact that he's opportunity is almost the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get plenty of it. They're going to give him three years to fail, you know? You will have a very long time to figure it out. Ground ball rate's a little high right now, but it's higher than it was in the minors. That could be something that changes for him, too. Maybe he starts to hit the ball in the air a little more often. I like the distribution of his batted ball so far. He goes up the middle more than he goes to the pull side or the opposite way. I mean, that 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 does um, allow for, you know, two different ways forward. There is this sort of Tim Anderson spray the ball and run real fast and have a real high batting average. Um, but there is also then maybe pull the ball and find more power. I guess it would be worse if he was pulling the ball a lot and had this max exit low and barrel rate. <laughs> that would be, see, that, that would be the, the case. It's like, oh, he's already doing the thing that you do to get to power. Yeah, and this is all he's got. <laughs> and this is all he's showing us right now. There are some strange players on these leaderboards, by the way. Alex Bregman had a 4.8% barrel rate in 2019. That was a 41 home run season for Alex Bregman. Yeah. So, yeah, 2019 had some weird stuff going on with the ball. and I danced around a name on my list of the Max EV and similar barrel risk that was, that was actually similar. It was Jose Altuve. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there is not. Yeah, I think it is a little bit the park. They just they they figured out they can turn and burn on high and tight and uh, make the most out of their barrels, uh, at least at home. So I think there is a little bit of similarity there. Um, but Michael Brantley's also right there as a name I didn't mention, and um, I think that would be a very good outcome for Abrams. Michael Brantley with speed and shortstop. Yeah, that kind of works. You know, a really good hitter. Plenty of good counting stats, and then you're going to put bags on top of that? That plays. Isn't Michael, from a roto profile perspective, isn't that sort of what Tim Anderson is? Tim Anderson has a little more power than Brantley, I think, at this point, in-game power. So I guess that's the the slight difference. You know, it is the kind of player that... um that I like too, where you, you, you know, get, you, you're going to get some speed. You're going to get some power. You probably know the no zeros basically across the board. Um, one thing I have noticed is that this year I is the first year in a really long time that I'm not just, uh, winning every league's, uh, home run category. Um, it's very weird for me. I'm almost always at the top in home runs because my whole, my whole approach is to take home runs with 
bags on the side, you know? So, um, I don't know what that means in this context, but home runs are harder to find than they have been in the last five years. Um, so that's, that's relevant too. If you, if he's not going to get to it and he's only going to hit you eight to 10 or eight to 12 homers in a full season, that's, that's going to hurt you. Yeah. I guess the, the league context is, is also important. I mean, keeper dynasty, even though I traded him away earlier this season, I'd be comfortable trading for him. I think if we're looking ahead to next season, NL only leagues, love him there. 15 team mixed leagues, like him as a middle infielder, maybe a guy that's going to be going late enough where you can get him after round 20 in a 15-team league, potentially, depending on what happens in these next few weeks. I'd be interested if that's what it ends up being with Abrams. Keep my MI and my backup shortstop and a source of speed later in drafts, and I've built a nicely powerful team around them. Yeah, I'll have some shares. Yeah. You've convinced me. Yeah, all right. Stupid sexy Flanders for the win <laughs> once again. I just saw the episode where, where Flanders punches Homer a couple times yesterday, actually. Oh. I don't know. Classic. What was that, what was that one? What, what is it over? Oh, why did he punch him? I think Homer was just making fun of him, and he finally snapped. But it was the one where you get to meet <laughs> Flanders' parents. Oh. Do you remember what they're like? No. They're kind of just like stoners like they're just super laid back oh, no no i do remember that yeah total opposite of <laughs> totally Ned. different than him yeah <laughs> yeah that's funny looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's uh, move on to some power shifts here from 2022. I took a look at the year-over-year changes leaderboard over at Fangraphs, looking for biggest risers and fallers in slugging percentage. I think the fallers are more interesting than the risers as a group, but I just wanted to mention the names that are on the good side of this. Aaron Judge, shockingly, the uh, the biggest riser from last year to this year in slugging percentage. Andres Jimenez, I think, is a, a really good name to talk about here. Um, Jazz Chisholm took a big step forward you know, before the injury slowed him down. You got Cody Bellinger in the mix, Jose Trevino, Goldschmidt, Jordan Alvarez, Profar, uh, Jeff McNeil. Dude, Josh Naylor's in there. Has looked completely different since the All Star break. Yeah, have you noticed this? I've noticed Strike it in rate. in the performance. I've just noticed like when I see the box score the next day, I see a few more good things coming from Bellinger than I've seen most of the year. No, it, it's uh, it, it's amazing actually. Um, let me see here. The first second half splits are not actually first second half, right? It's pre and post All Star, right? Yeah, and I'm looking here. Got the game log up since the start of the second half. Air quotes since the post All Star oh, break part of the schedule started somehow <laughs> with a two thirty eight OBP. Yeah. yeah, five homers though and twenty percent K rate. Yes, twenty percent K rate and a three eleven ISO. Yeah, I mean if he's going to strike out twenty percent of the time, that batting average is going to come up. Has to, and it's possible. It's possible he's coming back. I I was talking to Alex Wood about uh, people he would love to see in the home run derby, and he said. Cody Bellinger and I was like you mean like 2019 Cody Bellinger <laughs> I couldn't help it I was like really uh, and he's like no even now he's he just said that he thought Cody Bellinger had a really sweet swing yeah people love Cody Bellinger's swing but it, I mean it's been it's been missing <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, to put it frankly um, so uh, 311 ISO that's that's what he was doing in 2019 I'm I'm intrigued again. 
uh, I've got him in keeper leagues, and I I took him off the block. I was trying to shop him to sell low, and I decided I'm going to hold on to him. Jimenez, though, is probably the the biggest surprise among these names. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it helps to make a big move in slugging percentage. Here's one of the hacks. Uh, have a really bad season in slugging percentage the year before. That's <laughs> yeah. lay the groundwork. If you want to like, lead the league in improvement in something, be terrible for a while and then you know get better. And then it, it looks like you got a lot better, even if you just got a little better. But I don't want to talk down about his season because it's been good. Andres Jimenez went from a 351 slugging percentage last year in 210 plate appearances with the Guardians to a 482 this year. In a sample that's almost double that size. He's at 375 right now. And of course, that's not all he does. He's 15 for 17 as a base dealer. He's turned that increased pop into actual home runs. The counting stats are solid. He's still, I think, a little bit risky just in terms of of batting average not being quite this good because he swings at a lot of pitches outside the zone. But the weird thing is, this profile, I don't know if this is a, a podcast about Tim Anderson today or whatever, but... 20% 20% K rate, 5.6% walk rate, does damage, swings at some pitches outside the zone, good efficient Steel base guys. dealer. This is kind of another Tim Anderson sort of profile <laughs> that we're seeing from a middle infielder that is probably going to have a long run of playing time in Cleveland, and this is a big step forward for him. Yeah. The uh, barrel rate is okay, not great. One thing that you would actually do in a projection system is... Uh, regress the barrel rate even to his previous uh, standards. So he had like a 3.3 and then a 3.6 and now a 6.8. Um, I think average-ish is, is uh, five or five or so for for a starting position player. So he went from below average to above average. I would probably regress him back to uh, around average going forward. So average barrel rate, uh, I think the ceiling is probably like a one- I think his current ISO 175 and current slugging 482 are probably his uh, high watermarks going forward, I would guess. This also looks a lot like C.J. Abrams. If you go back and look at 2020, 2021, a really young player, 21, 22 years old. Really poor batted ball quality. Poor batted ball quality, but did some other stuff along the way. Gives you It gives you an idea of how long it could take, right? That That Abrams... That's the other thing about Abrams. Like, I, the only thing that'll be different is the plate appearances. It should be immediately. There's just no unless he's here. Here's the here's the downside risk when we're talking about guys who are in their early early twenties. They can get sent down. Good enough. Yeah, they can. They can get sent down. They get stuck in the bottom third of the order. I do think those things are less likely on rebuilding teams, and that is firmly where the Nationals are right now. So, I think Andres Jimenez is another good minors, guide here in terms of just. A to B to C, this is this is a path that C.J. Abrams could follow, and it would not be that surprising. Yeah, 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 I could see that. Um, I, I like the uh, other notables. Did you mention them? Yeah, the other notables, a little further down the list, Glaber Torres is on here, Gavin Lux is on here, Nick Gordon is on here. We've talked about Glaber and, and Lux quite a bit, and even with Lux's improvement, there's questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Glaber... Uh, follows uh your other idea of just have a bad year <laughs> tank and then I think, come uh, back yeah the underlying power is more of a, a bounce back than uh, an emergence i think um but uh gavin lux is just uh, continually fascinating to me um really good real life player um i'm not sure how how good he is for fantasy and I'm not, and I'm not sure how much better he'll get. He's fine as a deep mixed league bench player. That's about his yeah. cap right now, at least. Yeah, I guess in OBP leagues, he's a little bit more valuable. I think if we're gonna roster players like Luis Arias and, and even Jeff McNeil, right? Is Jeff McNeil's also on this list? Is that a is that another fair expectation comp for Lux? This guy that plays multiple positions. I mean, Lux walks more, strikes out a little more, I think, but. That's probably about right. Maybe it's batting average first, then counting stats, and then a little bit of speed, a little bit of power, and and that's all we can expect in the short term. Yeah, Abrams' speed is is uh, superior to Lux's for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lux and Lux isn't slow. 
right? Like Lux yeah. actually runs well, but top of the scale runners are pretty special. Um, uh, but uh, and, and who's the last name there? Uh, Nick Gordon. Nick also Gordon. fascinating because I, I, you know, this is like an extreme case. I think even more extreme than Abrams, um, where uh, the minor league uh, slugging numbers were just awful, right? And I, I wonder if just his like his brother's situation, like, uh, biased me against him. Right. If we looked at Nick Gordon and said, yeah, his brother's this really skinny guy, slaps the ball, doesn't really drive the ball. Therefore, Nick Gordon must be like that. Yeah. And they profiled somewhat similar, similarly in the low minors in particular. But if you look, he's kind of been put, you know, he put up a 191 ISO and 181 plate appearances in double A. He put up 161 in 319 plate appearances in 2019. So, like, the power has been slowly growing. He has physically been growing. Like, mm-hmm. he's he is a larger person. And recently, um, I, I was very surprised uh, to see he has an 11% barrel rate. And in fact, you know, and he's debuted with a 6.8% barrel rate. I think going forward, you could actually, you could actually see more power from Nick Gordon going forward than he's shown. Normally, if you have an 11% barrel rate, you have a better than a 146 ISO. Yeah, I like what we're seeing. And I wonder, I'm trying to kind of retrace our steps, look back at his minor league profile. He went back to double A in 2018 to begin the season after finishing 2017 there. Showed more power. It was only 42 games, so it was easy to sort of write that off. Got the promotion to triple A. Numbers came down. Went back to that level in 2019. Power went up again. At least he, at least he's getting better. I mean, yeah, it's bad to repeat levels. That's something that people will uh, count against you if they're discussing you, evaluating you. You know, um, oh, he's just repeating the level. But at least he got better. Yeah, he got better. There are people who repeat and just do the same. Then you really lose uh, your shine as a as a prospect. It's also, I mean, this is where this is why I like WRC plus so much. You look at that 2017 season. It wasn't a lot of power, but there was some speed. 23.2% K rate. He was a 21-year-old at AA. He was 17% better than league average. That's not mm-hmm. failure. That's actual, that's success. Like, that's, yeah. that's very good age to level. So, yeah, I think Nick Gordon has really emerged to be this player that I had very low expectations for going into the season. He's also hitting the ball in the air more often. Yes, he's hitting the ball in the air more often. And he's showing enough power to take advantage of it. I mean, I, I, I missed this completely. I, I like... I, to the point where I missed it like two months ago. I think I was talking about what would happen when somebody was coming off the off the injured list, and I thought Nick Gordon could be a DFA candidate. Like I literally thought that this year. What was I looking at? He was out. He's out of options. I don't think I even pulled up his page. I was just completely speaking out of my butt. I like it, it's worth when something like this happens it's worth unpacking you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you got to what is it is it is it you know what where is the bias coming from you know so i you know i got to i i in in my defense you know i have looked at his page before and i've and you know there is his brother and he does seem like when you look at him he still even now that he's bulked up a little bit he does seem like a little guy like a very skinny guy uh, but there are other skinny guys who've hit for power. So um, I, now I'm now I'm, I'm wondering like how how good we think he can be. Well, his career numbers so far just under 500 plate appearances between this season and last season. Nine homers, 16 steals, about a 25% K rate, about a 5% walk rate, 95 WRC plus. It's a 258, 307, 390 line. I would take the over on each of those three things. I think so. But it's, it's a slight over in the first two. And maybe a significant over in the last one. I think it's more like a 265, 320, maybe like a 440 sort of, of player. And that, this way beyond, his projections are basically lined up with what he's done. Right. <laughs> it's actually kind of amazing. If you look at the projections, they look like, and you look at his actual total line, they look exactly the same. Yeah, so I don't think he's like out over his skis right now. I think the only category I'm looking at that's a little off power. is the average could be a little off, but if he's getting into more power hitting more home runs than that sort of carries the average up to where it is right now. Yeah. And, and as, as a guy with some speed, uh, that doesn't, uh, pull the ball overly much. Um, 
you know, he could be a guy that runs okay Babips. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I think I think we could see something. What were you saying, like sort of 270? Yeah, I thought like maybe mid-260s, more likely 320-ish OBP. That's kind of yeah. where he is right now, maybe up to a 330 if he can walk a little more, and then a 440, 450 slug. And a, and a 450 slug on a 260 average uh, is around a 200 ISO. Um, I think that's like 20, 20, you know, 2 to 24, 25 homers. Yeah, and even if he doesn't get all the way there, he runs a little bit. And then compared to players who we're always looking for for cheap speed, he does have more power than those guys. He beats that that minimum ISO threshold that you talk about a lot where you're you're not worried about him getting the bat knocked out of his hands. And then there's some versatility. They play him at multiple spots. So I could see this actually being a, a pretty legit breakout. The Jeff Zimmerman rule of 650, uh, he breaks, he, he, he's past that. Uh, you, want, you, you want your speed guys to have a better than 650 OPS projection because uh, right around a 650 OPS uh, in real life is when you lose your job. Um, and he at least has a 700 projection basically so but it, it's a, it's a it's 700 minus <laughs> in the projection so i think i would still be careful with him in terms of um how much uh to invest in him in dynasty leagues and next year and stuff i still i'm still retaining some some bias against him i guess uh but you can hear from what we you know put a 440 slugging on him that's that's he hasn't done that yet and that would be, uh, you would be paying for the 400 slugging and you'd be happy to get the 440. I think in leagues where, you know, you're talking about keeping 10 plus players and maybe salaries are involved. If you picked up Nick Gordon for a couple of bucks in the last few weeks, you might find that he's going to stick on your roster in, in deeper mixed leagues, at least, and especially in, in mono leagues, because I think there are enough paths for him to play, even as they get a little bit healthier next year. We'll see what happens with Carlos Correa, among a few other things you know, for the Twins. They're always, you know, they're always also going to want um, a good uh, center fielder that's playing on the major league roster because of the way they use Buxton. Yeah, the Buxton insurance. Yep. And, you know, yes, they have like Gilbert Celestino, who's like more profiles more as like a, you know, defensive guy, you know. Um, but I think it would be better actually to have someone who has some offense that can slide over to center so that you're not just always starting a defense only guy the day that Buxton doesn't play. Right. Cause you're already taking a big hit in the lineup with Buxton. Not right. Being there yeah. from a bat <laughs> That's a double hit. You know, Celestino's a double hit. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Wait a second. Now I know. Hold on. I just made this mistake. I'm going over Celestino's page real quick. <laughs> no. Okay. He's, he's as bad as I thought he was. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> really really harsh i gotta check all my priors now nick orton has really has really shook me <laughs> yeah sometimes it's a good thing right get that wake up call yeah. and get back on track the faller side of this list has some pretty interesting names on it as money grandal one of the things that's going to be a common theme is injury uh, on the fallers list you lose yeah. a lot of power you're probably hurt because money grandal has lost 260 points of slugging percentage he's actually slugging 260 right now for the season it's not who he is as a player. If he's healthy, he's obviously going to hit for power. Um, already, someone I'm thinking about as a bounce-back candidate for next year. Already someone that, if you're in a single-catcher league and he's been dropped, I think he's worth picking up because I think his final you know, four, five, six weeks of this season could be much more in line with expectations. Uh, Frank Schwindel, I'm less surprised there just because he was a late pop-up guy. I didn't have him anywhere. It was To, that, to me, that's the easy kind of profile to avoid. Unfortunately, it seems like it's not going to work out for him. Uh, Brandon Belt, injuries, right? Tyler O'Neill lost 200 points of slug so far. Injuries. I guess. I guess. Leg stuff more, but it still matters. One question I have about Tyler O'Neill is that with the reduction in the ball, like in in the deadening of the the ball, what we've seen uh, from some of these high strikeout guys that used to slug their way to good on-base percentages and batting average and so it's and value is some struggle i mean what do you like what in the in the preseason uh i'm gonna now look at uh i think i have to do steamer because i want k percentage do they do k percentage they don't do k percentage all right i'll just do i just do raw strikeouts 
projected raw strikeouts going into the season on Steamer. Joey Gallo, Miguel Sano, Tyler O'Neill, uh, Matt Chapman, Javier Baez, Franmil Reyes, Adolis Garcia, Shohei Otani. So, to be fair, still some guys there, but that's like seven out of the first ten are, are like terrible this year. Yeah. I'm chalking this All up right. to health. Uh, he's still <laughs> running around the leg injury. He's 8 for 12 as a base stealer in 66 games. Oh, you are roasting me this episode, dude. He's been hurt. Tyler O'Neill, strong guy. I think the legs matter for all hitters, but I, he hit one, I think it was Sunday, hit one against the Brewers. It was a, just a monster shot. It was kind of a typical Tyler he O'Neill home run. The best, I think it was the best batted ball quality last year overall by that stat uh, extra expected x-rays hits that uh that max bay made before he before he jumped to the astros so i still i still believe in him long term i think he's an interesting buy though and he's still stealing bases and good late season trade player too like if you want to trade for someone if your trade deadline hasn't passed in your league you want to get an offensive player that could help in every category maybe takes a, a slight hit in batting average just based on the swing and miss in his game but Power, but speed, also counting your batting stats. average. You know, five months into the season, is pretty much set. You, you know, he's not going to move your batting average much. Shouldn't. So if you have a high one, you know, the, the, he's a perfect one to go get. In on O'Neill now, likely in on O'Neill going into next season as well. It seems like it's bad to leave Great American Ballpark because Jesse Winker is on this list, losing almost 200 points in slug. Nick Castellanos losing almost 200 points in slug. Even Tucker Barnhart made the list. Which one of those two are you more beat about going forward? I think that's an interesting one, Winker and Castellanos. Mm, I think it's Castellanos. Because Park... Park and supporting cast is comparable because I think the Mariners' offense is quietly really good. Yep. Yeah. Slightly longer yeah. track record of in game power. I think batting average floor for Castellanos is kind of underrated. I mean, the, the gross season he had was the shortened 2020, played all 60 games, hit 225. But look at his averages going back to 2016. He had a 285, a 272, a 298. A 289, he's got a 309 last year, and even this year with it going wrong, 259 is not a bad batting average. So I think he gets it back in his age 31 season. Yeah, it's also not in that sort of 33, 34 um, range where you start to doubt the projections of bounce backs. You know what I mean? I think 30 is definitively a year too early to be to think he's like toast or whatever, so... Ah, so this leads me to another name on the list. What about Avi Garcia, who's been just brutal this year in his first season with the Marlins, right? It's a long-term deal, big contract. You've got that Winker-esque thing where it's just like, what if it's just a bad mix of player and park? Could be. Um, you know, 31. really one really surprising development for Garcia, too. Highest K rate of his entire career, 27.8%. He's never swung at more pitches outside the zone, except for when he debuted all the way back in 2012. Barrel rates down after three out of the last so four seasons. Double digit barrel rates. I mean, this is this is a bizarre how is he player. Running, how is he running? It's. I think his strikeout rate right now actually matches his swinging strike rate. He's a. He's always been sort of Hamilton. You know who? Uh, there's a comp here, Josh Hamilton. Mm, I was thinking more like Adam Duvall. Okay, a little bit, but. You know, Duvall, I guess Duvall was playing center, man. I, there's sometimes baseball does things where you're like, what? <laughs> um, uh, I was going to say that uh, Garcia has more athleticism and speed than Duvall, but maybe Duvall is more athletic than I'm giving credit for. Um, it, but the my point of bringing up the Hamilton comp is um, it would not serve him well to be more patient. This is a guy with 18% who runs regularly 18% swinging strike rates and 40% reach rates, chase rates. That type of player is not served well by being more patient. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that, the strikeout rate will just balloon. So I, I am actually worried about age-related decline here because... Yes, his chase rate is up bad, but he's not a player that's going to benefit from chasing less, like a lot less, I don't think, or being a lot more patient. And uh, he's had bad swing strike rates and bad chase rates in the past and still performed 
and this year he just isn't. The quality of contact is down pretty big, except for the Max EV. I'm a little worried about this one. I don't know how many shares I'm going to have next year. I could see myself, especially during draft and hold season, when the price is the absolute lowest, taking a few flyers because I think the playing time is still going to be there. You can't, you can't bench a guy in year two of a four-year, fifty-three million dollar contract if you're the Marlins. Oh, you have to no, see if he can figure it out. Chance, yeah. And he has had some pretty significant variance over the course of his career too. When you look at the year-to-year performances, he's had a year that looks a lot like this in 2016. He had a 55 percent ground ball rate. Chased a bunch, struck out a bunch. Oh man, he he is Adam Duvall. They they are so similar. Really? I think Duvall's power Doesn't peaks. Duvall hit like forty homers in a year. He hit thirty eight last year. Yeah, and it was after sixteen and fifty seven games in the shortened season. But in twenty eighteen, Duvall hit one ninety five with a two seventy four OBP and a three sixty five slugging percentage. That was a miserable year and that was on the heels of back-to-back 30 home run seasons in Cincinnati the thing that I think is really important here Duvall having a few seasons in that hitter-friendly ballpark in Cincinnati reached a power peak that Garcia hasn't been able to hold over multiple seasons but in part because Garcia has not really spent as much time in hitter-friendly environments as he did hit 29 in Milwaukee yeah Mm -hmm. all right that's an interesting comp I guess um but uh to be fair i have very rarely uh, acquired shares of Adam Duvall. Oh, I'm I'm an Adam Duvall skeptic. It's generally, every not a player that I'm 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 into. Uh, you want to beat me in a league? Have Adam Duvall on your team when he goes off for thirty plus homers because because <laughs> he won't be on my team. Because I I missed. I didn't see it coming. Are you likely okay? So you're saying at the very bottom prices, maybe? Yeah, I think okay. so. I think the price is going to be just. Next to zero free. I mean, we're in a draft and hold, you got to go 50 rounds. So we're probably talking about around 25 to 30 range pick. That's basically a, a bench guy in a 15 team mixed league. I think that's about right for the discount for me to be in. Because mm-hmm. he might be in the, the heart of the Marlins order. There's reason to believe they might actually spend a little or use pitching to get more hitting. So they're supporting you know, tasks. I think better. they should move the fences again. Could do that. I mean, I'm not going to draft him banking on that, but I just think. Year two in a, in a new place, that could be better. That in and of itself could make things better. What about uh, Marcus Simeon? He's had a pretty wild season for year one in Texas. He's now at 17 homers and 19 steals. So he's 19 for 22 as a base stealer. Really efficient. High volume he's probably there. probably going to return the value, the value of, uh, that was invested in him, right? Like he's probably going to actually, he was like a fourth or fifth rounder. He's probably going to return like fourth or fifth round value, I bet. What do you think the slash Just line was at the <laughs> end of May? What do you think the slash line was for Marcus Simeon? Oh, my gosh. I've been following along to some extent. I mean, was it uh, like 195, uh, 250, 300? Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Possible? Pretty much nailed it. 199, 266, 274. He had one homer wow, in his first 207 plate appearances yeah. this season. He had six steals, so he's giving you those cheap bags, which might have been enough to keep him in your lineup even when things weren't going well. And now, if you look back to June 1st, so since since the end of that run, from June 1st forward, Marcus Simeon is at 260, 315, 484 for the slash line, 25% better than league average. 16 homers in his last 302 plate appearances, 13 for 15 as a base dealer. He's doing a 15.9% K rate. So I'm wondering if he ends up being a little undervalued because the overall numbers might not fully recover. And I think that more recent slash line is probably a fair place. Like if you look at projections for rest of season, think about next season's projections, what those are going to look like. That's probably about right for Marcus Simeon. Big contract, plays every day. Has a prominent spot in the lineup. Lineup should keep getting better. If you if you prorate his uh, rest of season projections for a full season, you're talking about a guy who's going to hit 255, 260 with 27 homers, 20, 25 to 27 homers, and 15 to 20 steals. It's a good fantasy player. Jeez, man. It's a really I'm good fantasy have some player. Simeon shares again next year. <laughs> and I think you're getting him at a lower draft day cost than you did in 2022. He'll drop to like sixth, seventh round. 
He was going. He where was he going? Third, like fourth, right? Uh, I think I drafted him in the third, early in the third. draft season, and then once he went to Texas, I think he slipped a little bit. But yeah, third, fourth round, like top fifty, I think was pretty consistent for Marcus Simeon. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm gonna have some Simeon shares next year. Yeah, so a lot of interesting names in that list. Darren Ruff, way down. Brandon Belt, who I mentioned earlier, way down. Brandon Crawford, way down. I mean, those two, two of those three giants have been hurt. I wonder. Are they missing Donnie Ecker? Maybe, but Belt is like bone on bone, and in, in one of his knees, I think. I think, mm. I think he's gonna get like a couple one year deals. Um, I don't think the Giants will resign him. No, it seems like they're ready to move on. I think if they they keep Evan Longoria around, maybe Longoria starts playing some first base. Yeah, sixteen million for Longoria though. I think he's gone too. Play J D Davis at first base if you want to. Most teams don't have that luxury, air quotes. They're going to cycle through some veterans in San Francisco. They're going to take the. They're going to take advantage of the down season to kind of, you know, try to clean it up a little bit. Um, so I, I, uh, you know, I think they'll be a big player for any any big free agent this this off season. I think Carlos Correa would be interesting. Uh, push uh, Crawford over to second. Um, but. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm down on those guys. The, the ones uh, like Nelson Cruz, Brandon Belt, Grant Crawford. I think you're just you're, it's just the end of a uh, end of your career. I think Joey Votto may be looking at it. I mean, I've 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 written stories about this is the end for Joey Votto before, and <laughs> I was wrong. But it's it, when you when you see just like a little resurgence and then it goes away again quickly. That's when I that's when I'm like, uh oh. The bounce back wasn't as good, you know? Yeah, it's sad. It's not, not what we were hoping for. No. So, I mean, I think he's to the point where he's my draft and hold third first baseman next year, you know? He has to be that cheap. That's probably where he'll go. I, I might pick him up there. I feel like his OBP and his contract will keep him playing, you know? Yeah. yeah there's no reason not to play him if you're Cincinnati going into next season. You know, I think uh, Cruz, I think it's mostly the end of a career. Uh, Max Muncy has totally turned it around. Yeah, maybe he's feeling better. His his plate decisions were still elite, and his, his max power was still there. I think he was just having trouble sort of tapping into his, uh, making that powerful contact more often due to the, sh- the, the elbow, probably. So... Um, I, here's another guy that I was shopping and then nobody wanted him or nobody took him. And so now I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm happy I have him. <laughs> Catching a little bit of that late season rebound from Muncie. It just, all along, it's just been a question of how healthy is the elbow. I think that ex- explains most of, of why the power hasn't been there for the better part of this season for him. But but Fraud Mills belongs in the Tyler O'Neill conversation, which is, do we, in this new run environment, have to put a real big asterisk on anyone that has, you know, like over a 28% projected strikeout rate. Hmm. You know, do we need to start valuing contact as fantasy players a little bit more? Yeah, probably. I think the Cubs are, are going to give him a lot of playing time though. So it's, um, I just, I actually just picked him up in a, uh, in a 12 team, um, in, on the NFPC because, I need power and you know, <laughs> he's going to play. <laughs> yeah. Universal DH buys Reyes a lot of extra opportunities next year. I just think the Cubs aren't going to get better fast enough to push him out of playing time. And that raw power should play pretty much anywhere. So I think what I would do is just go into it knowing that there's probably even more batting average downside than we previously expected. Now we've seen a new floor. Just keep that in mind. That doesn't, that doesn't go away with an offseason necessarily when you strike out more well over 30% of the time. And that goes back to last season too. 32% K rate last year, even while he popped 30 homers. So uh, it's a little bit, um, I don't know, Miguel Sinoian right, in some ways without the massive injuries that have been wrinkled in. Yeah, who's also had an awful year. Yeah, kind of a forgotten player that we'll see what the future holds for him. Seems like he's done as far as his time with the Twins goes. But uh 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk about a few other questions we got via mailbag here before we go. Uh, there's a question from Wes about non-playoff teams making pickups in a keeper league. Wes's league is a 16-team keeper league where they can keep six players. They're having a major debate on whether it's fair or not to allow non-playoff teams to continue adding players during the playoffs, we've always allowed non-contenders to pick up players at that time. Some league members think uh, it's not right for non-playoff teams to interfere with the playoffs and or snipe a good keeper for free. But others don't think it's fair for the playoff teams people to drop talented players with no risk and have an extra bench spot. I I have an immediate strong reaction to this one. Okay. Yeah, you got to let them pick up players. What are you talking about? It's a game. They're still playing. You want them to stop playing? You want them to leave the league? It's a keeper no, league. Come on. It's a keeper league. What do you do when you're not in it? You try to improve your league for your team for next year. <sighs> mm. Like I would be mad at the people saying the other side if it was my league. Is all I'm saying. So the only thing you could do, <laughs> if you need a resolution, I think the Sorry rule. Sorry if the writer was on that side. <laughs> it's it's an easy solution though if you need to put a rule in place. I think the the rule would be that anybody who's picked up after the playoffs begin would not be eligible to be kept. So if you if you were going to shut down those teams making moves. I still give you a big thumbs down on that one, dude. No, I'm just, I'm just offering a solution You're just to the telling problem. me I should go away then. Yeah, it's not not a good way to play. No, I don't like it. It also like just keeps the heat on the playoff teams. It's like, hey, get, get more teams trying, so you have to actually yeah, make smart moves. If you have moves. to drop an injured guy to, to win it all, and I get to pick up your injured guy and keep him, that's interesting. That's the cost of you winning. Yeah, that's an interesting decision you have to make. Or you try to win with that guy on your on your bench, you know, soaking up a roster spot, you know. I think that's 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 what I love about Keeper and Dynasty playing is those decisions, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I sold low on Trout, like we talked about that in this in this league. I sold low on Trout because A, I didn't think he was one of my top 3 keepers anymore. Uh and B, uh I needed people to play now in order to even win it you know i'm like basically tied for second i so i made that decision i thought i thought it was an interesting one maybe i made the wrong one but you know it, it was interesting you know and it and it means something for the league that means a team that was out of it now has a better shot next year yeah no, I, I generally would leave it open but if you need a rule to keep the peace at least just make a rule about not being able to keep players that the contending teams pick up if you're going to lock other people out of moves. That's about the only way to come up with some kind of middle ground solution there. Uh, thanks for that question, Wes. One last question here. This one's from Trevor. Trevor's in a 10-team Roto League. It's a 6x6 six six where innings pitched is a category, but they have a max of 200 games started for starting pitchers. Do we have any recommended followers who can do well with innings and categories, but don't count against games started. So you're looking for either like bulk relievers or true on followers, which seem like there aren't as many of those players around the league no. this year. Uh, the guy that I've been turning to a few times this year to just give me innings, though, is Ronaldo Lopez. He's oh. back from the IL. It's not, it's not like three plus innings at a time, 
but he's just been really effective in a relief role. And if he's got that SP eligibility, you can use him. He's not getting starts, but he is giving you innings. So I think he'd be probably on my list of, of players I'd consider for a role like that. Yeah, that's a good one. I only had one name myself, which was Keegan Aiken. Yep. Um, although, if you look at Keegan Aiken's game log, you might notice that uh, it's been diminishing over time in terms of how many pitches and how many batters he's been facing. Uh, in the last five outings, he's faced three, five, three, three, and seven. Uh, so he's only gone multiple innings once. Um, that was not the case early in the season. In fact, early in the season, uh, he, his first like 20 appearances, he didn't go one inning once. So, uh, I think that teams have found that it's just hard to keep a guy like that healthy. And, um, it's, it's a little bit difficult to do the bullpen game or the opener thing, um, in terms of. Uh, just the overall health of the bullpen, not even necessarily the health of just that one player, you know, because what you have is a guy who's not available for two to four days out of five, right? Yeah, it does make it a little harder to manage. The um, God, the other name that I thought of was Jalen Beeks, but he's actually going to be used as an opener. So that is the opposite of what you want. So you can you know, keep an eye on the Rays, what they do with him. Oh, right. So then Yarbrough. Yeah. Yarbrough has been used with an opener. Uh, but, you know, that's, uh, that. I think that sort of tells you uh, a little something about the strategy too, right? It's like you can get some innings from Yarbrough. <laughs> If you want, is that going to help you in the other categories? It, it depends on how league, deep your league. That threshold's yeah. pretty high, so I. I oh, he said it was a ten-team league. The ten-team yeah. leagues. It's a, that's a tough line to walk. That's where I think Lopez is like on the very short list of pitchers that yeah strikes Lopez enough guys out. Is all I can come up with vultures some wins because the team's good enough. You know, so I, I think those are those are our best recommendations. But thanks a lot. Uh, for that question, Trevor. If you got a question for a future episode, you can send those our way via email, right to barrels at theathletic.com. As always, you can drop us a question under this video on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and like this video if you're watching us over there. If you have a moment to leave us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd really appreciate it if you did that. And if you'd like to sign up for The Athletic, you can get a subscription for a dollar a month the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels that's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you on thursday thanks for listening